Just a quick reminder to everyone who is trying to start and get going with their up groups. Uh, your materials, they're still in the front row. There is, if you have one of the little binders and you want the sermon notes to fit them perfectly, there's a sermon note for that. And then there's also usually a supplemental that kind of goes along with following along during the week what's been said, just some more application and, and a little bit digger, uh, deeper digging into the sermon. So those are always up here on the front pew. And if you don't have a group, I'd still think it would be profitable uh, even for an individual to look at some of that material and revisit the sermon again later on in the week so that you get more than just our little 30 minutes here together in the Word each week, but you have something to kind of build upon. And so that material is there for you, and if we run out, let me know. Today we're going to be looking at the third of our upwards. So far, we've looked at fellowship, confession, and today, obedience. I, I wish I could take a quick poll, um, a, an honest quick poll, that when you heard the sermon title, Obedience, how many people thought, yay, I get to learn about obedience, or how many people, oh, obedience. Uh, one of the things I hope that we to accomplish today is that when we finish today, that there's at least a sentiment in our minds that obedience is a blessing and not a burden. Um, and that the Bible says that obeying Christ is supposed to be light and easy, and that it is a, ble- is a blessing to us. But let us read the scriptures. First John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Pretty powerful set of four scriptures looking at obedience and what it means to follow God, um, what it is to be regenerated. And just let me remind us a little bit of what we're looking at in this Upward series. Again, we're being taught from the scripture proof of our regeneration or conversion and pursuits for the regenerated and the converted. We're looking either for those of us who are looking at ourselves to say, have I been regenerated? These are proofs of regeneration in our lives. And for those of us who feel comfortable with that, these are pursuits for us to pursue. We can pursue more fellowship with believers. We can pursue more confession and more dealing with uh, and repentance of our sin. And today we can pursue more obedience, trying to be a little bit more obedient to God. And I want to talk about the word I'm using there, regeneration. Uh, when These are proofs of regeneration and pursuits of regeneration. And what I mean by that word, just for a second, uh, one of the questions in the supplemental is this. When, why is regeneration a good word to use uh, in describing what happens to a person when they become a follower of Jesus? That's kind of the supplemental question for us to think about what it means to be regenerated. Regeneration refers is a reference to the change that is taking place in the lives of a follower. That when we give our life to Christ, he goes about through the work of the Holy Spirit, changing us from what we used to be, regenerating us, making us new, giving us new birth, however you want to describe that, converting us, the old man dying, the new man coming. There's all kind of imagery in the Bible that describes this change. And these upwards, this upward series, is really just 
those changes. It's a list of what those changes are. Our fellowship will change. It will change from fellowshipping with people of the darkness to people of the light. Our attitude and sensitivity to sin will change. We'll be sensitive to that, and we'll want to repent and, and confess of that. And then our obedience will change, that who we obey will change. We'll go from obeying ourselves or obeying uh, our enemy to obeying God. And so these words are just references to that change that happens in us. And what I want us to understand, and Jared actually kind of mentioned this when he was talking about Lippo and what she was discovering. He said, she's found out, she's been learning that God wants to do more than just save us from hell. That he wants us to change us in this world. He wants that, that following Christ is an everyday thing. It's not just for the end game. It's not just for salvation, that it is that, that too, but it's also a daily changing of our lives, that God is doing more than just saving us from hell. He's changing us each and every day. He's changing more than just our eternal destination. He's changing how we live life in this world today. And that is obedience. Conversion is the work of God, and it is not the self-effort things that we convert ourselves, but these are evidences of God's work in us. And so, for those of us who have been regenerated, as we consider these upwards, they're first of all prayer points for us to pray about. Help me be more obedient. Challenge me to be obedient. Show me where I need to be obedient, Lord. They're markers of evaluation. Am I more obedient than I have been? And third, they're, they're just items for us to, to pursue in obedience. The Bible tells me to fellowship with believers, and so I will be obedient and make sure I'm fellowshipping with believers. And so that's kind of where we're at. So as we consider this scripture, let us first consider the extreme importance of obedience. That obedience, biblically speaking, is very, 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 very important. Um, and I want to show us two points from Scripture that are actually kind of what we would say opposite sides of the same coin that highlight just the extreme importance of obedience. Number one, obedience is crystal clear evidence of regeneration. That's what he says in verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. By this, we know. We have crystal clear knowledge that we have come to know him, meaning we have a relationship with Christ, that we know who Jesus is, we put our faith in him, if we keep his commandments. I mean, if you want one Thing. So you just give me one thing to look at to know that I, at Jesus is my Lord, that I have given my life to Christ, it is obedience. Crystal clear evidence. Romans 6, 16 says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Romans, Paul puts it this way. You're going to know who you belong to. You're going to know whose slave you are by who you obey. Do you obey Satan or do you obey God? There is only two choices. Who is your master? And he puts it this way. You will either be the slaves of one, sin resulting in death, or you will obey God resulting in righteousness. 
John 8, 43 through 45 says this, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth from forth and have come from God. For I have not even come of my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and the Jews, and he's saying, you're obeying not God. He said, it's clear the reason you can't understand what I'm saying is because you're obeying your other father, that Satan is your father, and that's who you're obeying. You're wanting to do his desires and not wanting to do the desires of God. And so he's revealing to them that they have no relationship with God. And so obedience is crystal clear evidence of regeneration. The other side of that coin that makes obedience so extremely important is obedience is one of the highest priorities in all of Scripture. Looking over the entire landscape of the Bible, obedience is so highly prized from beginning to end. Just think about Adam and Eve. What was going on in the garden at the fall? God had given them everything, and he had put one prohibition. Of this one tree, you shall not eat. What caused the whole fall and entrance of sin into the world? They disobeyed. They were not obedient to the one command that they had been given, or the one prohibition that they had been given. Micah 6.8 He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And that walk humbly with your God is to follow his ways, to be obedient. It's an idiom for obeying God, to love justice, to to, to do justice, to love kindness, and to obey God. This is what the Lord requires. 1 Samuel chapter 15, 22, this is... Um, talking, uh, this is right after uh, David, uh, excuse me, Saul disobeyed the Lord and made this offering. He come up with his own way of doing things. And this is what Samuel says to Saul. He says, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. He's confronting Saul and saying, you've given all this great worship to God, but it's from a heart of disobedience. Your worship means nothing if you're not obeying. Worship doesn't please the Lord unless it comes from an obedient heart. Jeremiah 30, 19. Then King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I dread the Jews who have gone over to the Chaldeans, for they have given me over in their hand, and they will abuse me. But Jeremiah said to the king, They will not give you over. Please obey the Lord in what I'm saying to you, that it may go well with you and you may live. Jeremiah, the prophet's highlighting to the king, whatever, don't return to your own resources. Obey God, I beg you, and it will go well with you. Psalms 81, 12 and 13 excuse me, 11 through 13. But my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me and that Israel would walk in my ways. The psalmist is 
voicing the, the call of the Lord, begging and pleading for his people, just obey, just listen, just obey me and stop being stubborn. Obedience is mentioned throughout scriptures in Acts, Isaiah, 1 Kings, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Philippians, 1 Peter, Joshua, 2 Corinthians, Genesis, Leviticus, Judges, Daniel, uh, Haggai, Zechariah, just to mention a few of the places that obedience is highlighted as, as what the Lord wants from us. And so I, obedience to God is that other side of the coin because it is one of the highest priorities of the Bible. And so obedience is extremely important. It is crystal clear evidence of our regeneration, and it is one of the highest priorities throughout all of Scripture. But it's still often that time, you know, sometimes when your parents are sitting there and it's like, let's have an obedience chat. I mean, how many times if, if your parents come, I want to talk to you about obedience today. And the kids are like, can we have two of those today, please? Because we get the wrong attitude that obedience is this, this burden that we have to do, have to do, and have to do. And we miss the blessing of obedience. And what I want to really spend a little time on is, is us seeing what the blessing of obedience is. And for a little background, I want to look at what I think is the strategy of Satan in this world. Satan seems to have a pretty simple and simplistic, maybe simplistic, strategy for attacking you and I. It is basically this, doubt God and rely on yourself. He wants to cause us to doubt God, and when we can't trust God anymore, when we doubt Him, when we can't rely on Him, well, we got nowhere to turn but to ourselves and to rely on ourselves. And this seems to be the pattern throughout Scripture, throughout, as we see people sin, again, Adam and Eve, right? What did he gets Eve and Adam to doubt God's goodness that he's holding out on you. If you would eat this one fruit, it would be really good. And she saw that it was a delight to the eyes and would desirable to make her wise. And she took and ate and gave to her husband who was with her. So she relied on her own self and her own interpretation. So it was doubt God, rely on self. Which if that's true, if this is straight and strategy, then it makes the root of sin Pride and unbelief. Pride is relying on ourselves, turning to ourselves. Unbelief is doubting of God. So this is kind of the root of our sin problem, pride and unbelief. Here's what I want us to see why obedience is such a blessing. Because the cure for this sin problem, at least dealing with sin, is obedience. Because to obey God requires the opposite of pride and unbelief. It requires trust and humility. That when we obey God, we're one of all saying, I trust God. He's not holding back on me. He's not denying me anything. He's got the best intentions for me. I trust him. I trust his ways. I've given him my life. If he says it, I do it because I trust him. He is faithful and I will be faithful to him. And humility. He's God and I'm not. He's smarter than I am. He's bigger than I am. He's got things figured out that I will never figure out. He is the man, and I am the creation. He is God, and I am the created man. He is large and in charge. And so by our obedience, we're basically showing what we trust and obey. Trust and humility conquers pride and unbelief. 
And so what I want us to see is how obedience is this great blessing for us. Because obedience, the benefits of obedience is it offers us protection. Obedience protects us mainly from ourself. The truth of the matter is we're our worst, we're our own worst enemy. It's when we rely on ourselves, when we turn to ourselves and not and we're not humble and trusting of God. Jeremiah the prophet, verse 7, verse 23 says this. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will walk in that way which I commanded you, that it may be well with you. This is the decision. This is what Jeremiah is teaching on obedience. Obey my voice, and I'll be your God. You will be my people. You will walk in my way, which I commanded you, that it may be well with you, that I can protect you and keep you safe and close to me. That obedience, the great blessing of obedience is it offers us protection, especially protection from ourselves. Now, that sounds strange because we don't often think of needing protection from ourselves, but that's kind of what the Bible shows us we need to be protected against. And I want to look at four quick blessings of obedience from this passage a little bit. First, obedience protects us against self-doubt. Verse 3, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. We don't have to rely on ourselves when we know God, when we know who God is, and we know what God has done for us. We can relieve ourselves of our own self-efforts to try to be good enough, to try to measure up, to, to put our faith in ourselves, to take care of ourselves, because we know God came to save sinners. We know God came to seek and to save the lost. We know God came to be the propitiation for our sins, that we can now know and rest assured in what God has done and not have to worry about ourselves. Martin Luther, the great reformist who's famous for his 95 theses that he posted that started off the, what we would call the Protestant Reformation, was for many years beset by, by a great struggle, wanting to know that he was saved. He, he feared hell with the greatest of passions, and he knew he wanted to love God and, and enjoy God and be a servant of God. He went into the monastery to, to try to assure himself, but he struggled with self-doubt and self-doubt, self-doubt, because he, he served in a, in a religion that was really based on self-effort, that he could be good enough. And, and Martin and Luther would, would sit around and say, well, yeah, I know I prayed three hours, but couldn't I have done 30 more minutes? Couldn't, couldn't I have given God a fourth hour if I really wanted to do good? And I, I know I've done this, but couldn't I have done just a little bit more? I know I fed 50 people. Couldn't I have fed 60? And he was always plagued by this, this self-doubt within himself because he was trying to take care of his own salvation on his own terms. And then one day he came to understand the truth of by grace through faith. And who God was. By the goodness of God, through faith alone in God, I can be saved. Not on what I did or will do or ever will do, but on what God already accomplished. And so it protects us by obeying God. We're protected from this self-effort and this self-doubt that comes with it because we know ourselves. 
We know we could be better than we are. But no one can be better than Jesus. And so it gives us this verse, by this we know that we have come to know him. The first no is a participial no in the Greek, meaning a continual remind ourselves, that we can continually remind ourselves over and over and over. We can keep knowing and knowing and knowing and knowing that we have come to know for once, have a intimate, deep relationship. The word knowledge, the word know that John uses there is the same word that, that uh, in other places in the Bible that uh, describes the relationship between a husband and a wife when it says, like, it will say, uh, Joseph didn't know Mary until after Jesus was born. That describes a very personal and intimate relationship that a husband and wife can have. And so this verse is saying we can continually remind ourselves that we have a deep, intimate relationship with God. And we don't have to trust ourselves. We don't have to turn to ourselves. We don't have to doubt ourselves because in ourselves there is doubt. And so this lays out the two greatest knowledges in all of humanity. First, to know God. We say that so often, I think we escape the power of what it is to know God. How many of you know somebody famous? Anybody know anybody famous? You can just raise your hand. I don't know anybody famous. Anybody know anybody really famous? Jim Weissel. Wait a second, I do know somebody famous. I was at a convention one time, I met the duck commander, and he signed a hat for me. You know, I shook his hand, I talked to him for like 12 and a half seconds. That's not knowing the duck commander. That's maybe met the duck commander. When I was in, pre- or when I was in elementary school, um, the original TV show Tarzan guy, I don't even remember his name now, I was in like third grade. John, yeah, he came to our assembly, he dropped a diamond ring under the stage, and we had to go find it for him. So I met Tarzan one time, but I don't know anybody famous, you know, in that really know them kind of way. But God says, we can know him. Not just meet him, not just know about him, not just know his story, not just see him in an assembly once in a while. You know, you don't come here to, to visit him at an assembly like Johnny Weissmiller came to visit my elementary school. He says, I want to know you, and I want you to know me. Intimate relationship. I mean, if you could pick, like, to meet your hero and know him, you would, but how much better to know God? And we can do that. And once we know him, then we have the second knowledge, the knowledge of eternal life. It says to know Jesus is to have eternal life. That's what John said in his gospel. I've written these things so that you will know him and knowing him have eternal life. That though God came to do more than just save us from hell, that's a big part of it. And knowing where your eternal destination is helps you live life today with hope and, and perseverance and faith and something to look forward to. We won't go into the, the great afterlife with more, with, I guess so. I hope so. I, I, I hope I know God. No, it is I know God, and I know where God's at, and I know God said I will be with him where he's at. 
I'm afraid too many people face eternity like, play, like playing, shot, uh, playing Russian roulette with a double-barrel shotgun. You know, one tube's loaded, one tube's not, and you've got a 50-50 chance. But God gives us something better than a 50-50 chance when it comes to our eternity. He says, you can know me, and you can know that you have eternal life in me. It's better. It's 100% assurance if we know God. And so it saves us from our self-knowledge and our self-doubt. The second benefit of obedience is it protects us from self-deception. Verse 4, the one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The, the truth of the matter is that the Bible lays out there is this possibility that we can deceive ourselves into thinking we know God when we don't. We can lie to ourselves, as it says here in this passage. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. James 1, says, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. You think it's the right way? It actually leads to destruction. And so we must be aware of our own self-deception, that that not knowing God, we can deceive ourselves into believing our efforts or our religion or our practices or our bell-shaped curve that we compare ourselves to others. Whatever it is can be nothing more than deceiving ourselves into believing that we're okay when the only way to be okay is to know God. Now, I want to make it clear that John isn't just talking about if we sin. He talked about that when we sin, we have an advocate. He knows we're going to mess up. But what he's talking about in this verse is is an upward movement, that we want to be obedient, that we're moving in obedience, and that we're more obedient than we used to be. What John is really talking about, that this deception that we can deceive ourselves in, is if we continue sinning in the same way as we've always sinned, and there isn't a growing obedience in us, then we've deceived ourselves. And so obedience protects us from the self-deception that the Bible says is possible. I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, one of my greatest fears is this self-deception. That I was meeting with the, uh, the state director just this Friday, and we were just having a discussion about how for, for a long time we have been promoting religion and not a real understanding, deep knowing of God. And that people have deceived themselves into believing they've done all the right things, they've said all the right things, they've come to all the right meetings, uh, they've got their name on the membership of a church role, and so they're good to go. And what they know is their religion and the practices of their religion, and we're afraid, and the greatest fear is that they don't know the God that they're supposed to worship, that they worship the religion itself and the practices of that religion And so obedience to God and knowing Him saves us, protects us from self-deception. The next benefit is obedience protects us against self-devotion, being self-worshippers. But whoever keeps His word, in Him the love of God has truly been perfected. Uh, In one of uh, Shakespeare's plays, there's a famous line, to be or not to be. That is the question. But when it comes to, lo- to this question, the question is really to love God or to love self. 
this is what we're faced with. Are we going to love God and do it His way, or are we going to rely on ourselves? Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be voted to the one and despise the other. He applies that to both wealth and uh, serve God and wealth in this particular case. But I think the application is we can't love ourselves and love God. That's why Jesus says, you can't be my disciple unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And so someone has to be the main love. Is it to love God or to love ourselves? As it says here, to love for God is truly perfected. Deuteronomy 13, 15, uh, 15 through 20 and some of the highlights. In, uh, I lay before you, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. But if you turn your hearts away, you will not, and not obey, but will be drawn to worship other gods. Well, if there's only one God, these other gods are self-made gods that serve self. I call heaven and earth as witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and holding fast to him. And so obedience and love are connected. And so the question that we face is do we love God or do we love ourselves? Will we obey and protect ourselves against self-devotion or self-worship? Can we say what Jesus said in the garden? Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was faced with the question, will I love God and obey? Or will I love myself and protect myself and obey myself? And he said, not my will but yours be done. The fourth protection is it protects us against self-direction. Verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. We, as I said, God is doing more than just saving us from eternal damnation. He's changing us in the everyday life, each and every day. And each and every day, you and I face decisions. What will I do What will I do? How should I behave? What should I do? And the Bible gives us all the directions we need. We simply have to obey. We don't have to rely on ourselves. We don't have to figure things out ourselves. God has given us directions. Chuck Colson has written a a study that I'd like to do one day called How Now Shall We Live? It's a biblical worldview about how to live each and every day following Christ, that we don't have to rely on ourselves. We can be obedient to Proverbs 3, 6, and 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Here's one thing I want us to know, is that God's way is always the best way. God loves you and cares for us. He wants the best out of our lives. And obedience is a blessing because obedience is the path to blessing. By being obedient to God, we walk in His way. He's the creator of life, and He knows how to get the most out of life. And doing it His way always is best. 
When we rely on ourselves and we doubt God, we always end up less than the best. And so obedience is this great blessing because it guides us into the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He makes our path straight and we don't have to rely on ourselves. Jesus, at the end of his great sermon on the mount, sums it all up this way. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell. And great was its fall. Jesus puts it very simply. My way is the wise way. Your way is the foolish way. Obey me because it's the best way. It protects us from our own self-direction, which the Bible said is we think is the right way, but is the way of destruction. So finally, let me give us a quick test for obedience. Since, it is, since obedience is so important, it is clear evidence of our regeneration. It's one of the highest priorities in all of Scripture. It offers us these great blessings of protection from ourselves. So shouldn't we test ourselves just to see our obedience? And so I gauged and came up with a quick little test that you and I can follow. First step, find something in Scripture you don't like something you don't want to do. It won't be hard, trust me. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and about three verses in, you'll probably find something. Or find where it tells Jesus tells to us about loving those who persecute us and blessing them, not returning evil for evil. Or when it, in Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about how we're to love one another. You'll find something somewhere if you spend a little bit of time that's just like, that's tough. And then gauge yourself. Do you obey it? Do you do it? Do you practice the things that Jesus said? Or do you excuse it? Do you say, I know the Bible says... But, or do you question, does the Bible really say I'm supposed to turn the other cheek? Does it really mean that? Whose interpretation is that? What about this interpretation? Or the Spirit is telling me something different than the Bible. I've heard that one, by the way. And let me promise you one thing. The Spirit will never tell you anything contrary to the Scriptures. If it does, you dialed the wrong phone number. Or do you just play the, well, I'm forgiven anyway. You know, I'm just a sinner, and that's what I am, and God's already forgiven me, so if I'm not obedient in this point, well, we'll put that in the forgiven category. There might be some truth to that, but as I said, obedience... As, as John said in verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Crystal clear evidence 
of our regeneration. And so let us be brave enough to test ourselves and to test our obedience for his glory.